All right, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 38 today as we continue to go through the Sermon on the Mount. While you're turning there, um, let me just say the world, um, I mean, the world in terms of those that do not believe is a world that's hostile to the church and to the teachings of the Bible. It wants nothing to do with the Bible, which is why I find it ironic that common among our language and our sayings and our phrases is biblical language and biblical sayings and phrases. And many times they're completely unaware that they're stealing language from the Bible when they use those phrases. It makes me wonder if those who are hostile to the Bible and hostile to the teachings of Christ would quit using those phrases if they learned that they were, every time they used them, they were quoting Scripture, quoting God's Word. And so here are some examples of those that you have heard in conversation. People might talk about a cross that they have to bear, which obviously comes from Jesus and his teachings. First of all, he had to carry his cross, and then he died on a cross. But he also told his followers, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself daily and take up your cross to follow me. Uh, Another one would be people talk about maybe somebody being a thorn in their side, which comes from Paul's thorn in his flesh that he had to deal with all the time. Uh, One that is maybe closer to home in terms of our country and our government um, a house divided against itself cannot stand you know Abraham Lincoln used that now Abraham Lincoln knew he was quoting scripture but he used it when he was referring to the time when our country had people who were in support of slavery and people who were not in support of slavery and he was trying to drive home the point that if we are divided this greatly it won't work Um, Another one that you've probably heard in conversation is you reap what you sow. If you're a parent, you've probably used that before with your children. Um, As you sow, so shall you reap. We We read in scripture. And you've all heard people say, you know, like the life that they would dream of is all I want to do is eat, drink, and be merry, right? Um, Now, they probably don't realize that when that's used in Scripture, that's not necessarily a positive thing that is being discussed. Um, So those those are some things that are pretty common in our language. There are three that you've probably heard in your conversations with people throughout your life that come right out of our text today, and that is an eye for an eye. You harm me, I'm going to harm you back, and I'm going to make it at least equal. Uh, turn the other cheek. Christians are told to do that a lot from non-Christians because they they want to they want to remind us of our scriptures. You're supposed to turn the other cheek. Uh, and then the last one is to go the extra mile. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna look at our text today and see what Jesus is teaching us. Uh, the title of the sermon is "Do Not Raising the Standard: Do Not Seek Revenge." Uh, Jesus is going to talk about all those things, and eye for an eye, turn the other cheek, and go the extra mile to teach us 
a better way to handle conflict or handle situations than to seek out revenge. So let's look at our text. If you're able to stand, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word, starting in Matthew 5, 38. So this is Jesus continuing to, continuing to teach. He says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt or tunic, hand over your coat or your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, open your word and study it this morning, um, this is a topic that um, is maybe hard for us to to face because when we have been wronged, um, it is our nature, our sin nature, to want to um, to want to get back at them and to make sure that they feel what it's like to be harmed or wronged in the way that they did to us. Um, so as we look at this, help us to understand what Jesus is teaching us so that we know how to respond in a way that is more in line with your character. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right, um, so we're, the first thing you're going to look at in your notes, the first point, is that Jesus raises the standard concerning revenge. And um, so much of the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus is raising the standard of how God expects us to live and compared to what the people were taught or believed. And so um, they knew the verse that comes from the Old Testament that says eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And so Jesus says in verse 38, you've heard that it was said. You, you've been taught and you know the teachings that um, the Old Testament prescribes this, this um, way to exact revenge, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. What we're talking about here is what is commonly referred to as the law of retaliation. And it was not just something in the, in the ancient Israelite culture. It was a common law in the ancient Near East. There were a lot of nations around that area who had that similar concept in their law, that if somebody did something to harm you, you were able to do that back to them. The principle in Scripture comes from uh, it's found in Exodus 21 and Leviticus 24. So those are places where they would have known it's written. But the law of retaliation here did four things that I want you to note. The first thing is that it protected someone's rights. It protected someone's rights. So if somebody harmed another person... God was not going to let that just go unpunished. 
that person has the right to be treated with respect and to not have his brother or sister harm him. And so it protected their rights. So that it was put in place to protect people. The second thing is it created fear. It created fear because if retaliation is allowed and it's allowed to the limit, uh, to, the, to the point of where you have done something to harm somebody, then that makes you think twice before you do something to harm somebody or do something against somebody. And so uh, people would think twice, and so it just kind of created this this accountability almost, but in a, in a manner of using uh, fear to keep people in check. The third thing it did, and this is probably the thing I really want you to see, is that it was a limitation on vengeance. It was a limitation on vengeance. The Old Testament law was not promoting that vengeance be taken. And we've talked about how they've misinterpreted things so much as the the Pharisees and the rabbis are teaching the people. They've misinterpreted things in the Old Testament because of... um, their spiritual arrogance and their blindness to God. And so it was not saying, like, you really should do this. If somebody does this, I want you, God's not saying you are commanded to take revenge to an equal amount. But what it did was um, it took, it it allowed for a legal, um, it allowed for legal vengeance to be taken Personal vengeance was actually not allowed according to Old Testament law, but legal vengeance could be, and this this was the legal vengeance that God allowed. But it was a limitation. It was actually limiting the punishment so that the punishment that you might exact that that would be your revenge was to fit the crime. So God set up boundaries so that anger and vengeance was not able to have its way. Uh, punishments had to they they were set up so that they would be equal to what had been done to you and no more you could not go beyond that so just an example if someone stole your ox you couldn't kill them that wouldn't be equal uh, punishment so it had to fit the crime so it was a limitation on vengeance and the fourth thing is the law was the beginning of mercy. It was the beginning of mercy. People see this this uh, statement in the Old Testament: eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Um, and there's a list of things that go that if it's this, then this, and this, you can do that. Same thing. Uh, they see that and they tend to think God is a wrathful God of vengeance and it's actually because it's limiting the vengeance that somebody could exact back it is teaching mercy you can't retaliate I mean you can retaliate but there are boundaries I will not let you do more than what was done to you so the person who was wronged is justified because they have a legal right for Um, some kind of vengeance to be taken in response. They're justified. And the person who did the injuring or did the the offense toward the other one is protected from an unequal revenge. 
It's actually a picture of God's mercy. All right, so Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But in verse 39, he says, but I tell you, and this is what he's been doing. He's been raising the standard. This is what you've heard, or this is what you've been taught, but I'm going to raise that standard and call you to live this way. He says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, Jesus is not telling us that we need to just accept evil or that we need to allow evil in society or we just need to brush it under the rug and act like it's not there. You got to read it within the context of what, and so he's talking about in terms of seeking revenge. So, do not resist an evil person means do not have a hateful, angry, bitter heart that is just bent on seeking revenge and getting them back. If you, and here, and here's why, if you seek revenge, if if that's all you're consumed with when someone wrongs you, if if you're a person who has taken that so personally and allowed it to harm you and and create a bitterness and a hatred and a and a consuming of your entire life with getting them back and making them get a taste of their own medicine the question then that i think god would pose to you is how will they ever see the love of christ How will they see Jesus Christ within your character if all you are consumed with is getting them back? And the answer is they won't. They're going to see hatred. They're not going to see love. They're not going to see self-control. They're not going to see forgiveness. They're not going to see mercy. Those are all characteristics of God. And they won't see any of those. They'll just see hatred and a desire for vengeance. So that's the first point. He raises the standard concerning revenge. And I don't, I know most of you, all of you guys, I, I don't know you as well as your spouse or your children or, or whatever, but I know you pretty well, and I don't know anybody in here that I would characterize as a vengeance-type person, somebody who's always seeking to get people back if they're wronged. You know, there are people that you're like, man, whatever you do, don't cross them. You know, I don't, I don't see that in any of you guys, but I do know what it's like to be human, and I do know what it's like when someone wrongs me, and there is I think in every human being a a streak at least that wants them to get a taste of it or wants them to see you know you you've wronged me and that was a mistake and so Jesus is saying there's a better way to handle the situation so point number two Jesus gives three examples to illustrate his teaching so he raises the standard. He says, do not resist an evil person. Don't, don't just consume yourself with getting revenge when someone does something evil against you. And then, he's, and then he gives three examples to support what he's saying. And the first one is in verse 39. He says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And so turn the other cheek is the first thing that he teaches. And the Greek word used here indicates that this is the, this is to slap somebody with the back of your hand. So, you know, we would call that backhanding somebody. Um, if someone strikes you 
on the right cheek, which was using your right hand. And people tended to be right-handed back then, which is why Ehud was such a, he was able to get so close to the king and sneak in a le- his dagger on his left thigh because he was left-handed when people tended to be right-handed. Um, if you strike somebody on the right cheek using your right hand, you are slapping them this way across their face. Now, that kind of a slap on the face was not to cause pain. It was to insult someone. If you wanted to really hurt somebody, you'd punch them. You wouldn't mess around with slapping them. But this was an insult if you did this in public to somebody. In fact, there are some cultures, Rome being one of those cultures, that um, allowed prosecution for doing this. You backhanded somebody in public, um, and uh, you could be prosecuted in some cultures. Now, I think it's important to recognize that Jesus and Paul were both struck on the face when they were on trial. And they they did rebuke the person who slapped them, and they did challenge their authority to, to do so, but they did not, they did not, like, attack back. They did not with, you know, have hatred stir within them and respond in that way. They, they were calm and collected, and they just asked for the authority for them to be able to do that for the crime that they were standing trial for. And so um, that's Jesus is in John 18. That happens to him. And in Acts 23, it happens to Paul. But neither one of them responded with anger or hate. Um, and so here's what Jesus is saying. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn them the other also means it would be better to allow someone to shame you and maybe even give them a second chance to shame you twice over than to retaliate and seek revenge um, with a wrong and hateful and, and uh, uh, an attitude that is very much in opposition to God. It would be better to give him a second opportunity to shame you than to retaliate. And then in verse 40, he gives a second example. He says, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, the tunic was an undergarment, so that's why some translations say shirt. And the cloak was an outer garment, so that's why some translations use the word coat. But Jesus says if they are going to sue you and take your shirt or the undergarment that was underneath, um, let them have the outer garment as well. Now, let let me explain why that was a big deal. According to the law in Exodus chapter 22... The cloak was not allowed to be taken by somebody um, as a permanent deal. So, like, you might be, maybe you owe somebody something and you can't pay it off. And you gave them your cloak as kind of a way of paying that off. God said, you cannot take somebody's cloak permanently. And it was a really important piece of clothing that people had. It was sometimes the only thing that kept them warm, not just when they're out and about during the day, but at night sometimes that was the only thing they had to cover up. So it served as a blanket as well. And so God said in Exodus 22, you cannot take somebody's cloak as a permanent deal. And so when Jesus says this, he's 
teaching people to not take a, a an attitude of vengeance toward those who do something to harm them. He says, if someone's going to sue you, you know, they're going to drag you into court, which is, you know, like embarrassing enough, and they're going to take your tunic, which is the clothes that are on your back. Jesus says, well, give them this, this other thing that is vitally important as well. And so it's, it's a mindset and an attitude of placing when, when, when it's somebody who's harmed you and somebody that you probably don't like, placing them above your own desire to get them back. And so he says it would be better to give them your extra layer of clothing or maybe the only blanket that you have than to take a mindset and attitude of anger and hatred and retaliate against them. And the third example that he gives is in verse 41. He says, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, the Greek word here is derived from a Persian word that means to press into service. And so when he says, if someone forces you, if someone presses you into service and makes you go one mile with him, go with him two it's the same word is used in Matthew twenty-seven thirty-two when the Roman soldiers forced Simon of Cyrene to carry Jesus's cross. So they grabbed him and they they said, "This is now your job until this task is over. You're carrying this cross for this guy." And so they were able to do that. Now Roman soldiers had that authority; they could take civilians and they could force them to carry their equipment and the things that they had to carry it to fulfill their duties for one mile. So they're walking by somebody who's just a passerby or who's just standing there, and they grab him and they say, carry my stuff, and you're, you're obligated to carry their stuff for one mile. So when Jesus says this, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles, he's getting into some pretty iffy, a pretty touchy subject here because nobody liked Rome, and nobody wanted Rome any kind of a presence of Rome in the country. And so the Roman soldiers who were there, who might press you into service to do this, that was not something that was um, an easy subject for Jesus to address without stirring up hatred for those people. And so Jesus says, if this Roman soldier grabs you and forces you to carry his stuff one mile, he says bless him and go an extra mile with him. They hated the Romans. They were already under Roman rule. Soldiers were murderers and ruthless. If there was any kind of thing that they interpreted as insurrection by the Jewish people, they would just start slaughtering people. And now Jesus is telling them, return to them kindness and go above and beyond what they force you to do in service. But Jesus knows the human heart. And he says it would be better to do extra service than to allow anger and bitterness and hatred to take over and take root in your heart and make you want to retaliate. Let me give you an example of a well-known example of somebody who is an example of 
what Jesus, those three things Jesus is saying. Um, you all know Jim Elliott, who was one of the missionaries in South America that had been trying to reach um, a tribe of people. The tribe of people were a dangerous, um, they were murderous. Um, nobody, even people, even other tribes in the area wanted to go near them because they were so ruthless. And Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and uh, um, a few other guys went down there with their families if they had them and they tried to reach this people and there was a time that they had set that they were they'd been making contact with them but there was a time they were set that they were going to meet and talk with them and when the missionaries showed up a band of people from the tribe came out and killed them all Jim Elliott his wife Elizabeth they had a child at the time Nate Saint and his wife had a, a son and that would have been a prime example where those wives and children could have gone back to home, back to their home, gone back to their families into a place that was comfortable um, and spend the rest of their life hating the people that killed their husbands and fathers. But they stayed there. And Elizabeth Elliot led... Uh, a movement to reach those people with the gospel and eventually they were able to to reach them and to get to know each other and the tribe gave their life to christ and they became almost like family these people that killed their husbands and fathers became like family to them in fact nate saint's son they actually know who was one of the guys who struck the blow that killed his father. And that person, when he was saved, took Nate Saint's son kind of under his wing, almost like a son to himself. And they became so close that they spent time throughout their, their life traveling the world, telling the story and sharing the gospel. It would have been real easy for them to flee and to hold in their hearts anger and bitterness and maybe even rage and or maybe even stay down there and plot a way to get back at them, take the lives of the people that took the lives of their husbands and fathers. But they didn't. They retaliated not with vengeance but with love and mercy and forgiveness and kindness, and it won. God moved in their hearts and won them to Christ. So those are the three examples Jesus gives. Now, point number three in your, in your notes is um, we're going to talk about reasons to love our enemies instead of seeking revenge. And now, loving your enemies comes into play in the text that we're going to cover next week. These two texts go together, and this is kind of like what I'm doing here in point number four is kind of like a transition from uh, what Jesus is talking about here with not seeking revenge going into loving our enemies. Um, so... Rather than seeking revenge, Jesus calls us to love those who are considered enemies. And we're going to look at four reasons why that's a better plan. And the first one is that God loved us when we were his enemies. We really, I shouldn't even have to go through points two, three, and four. Like, that should be enough for all of us. If, if we were enemies of God and he loved us anyway, that should be enough for us to say, it's my call to love even those who... 
I would consider enemies. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were in opposition to him, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Romans 5.10. For if we, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So if God extended his love and an offer of grace to you and to me when we were still his enemies and we were living in rebellion against him, then the only proper response to those enemies of ours is for us to extend that same kind of love. And Ephesians 5, 1 to 2 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So if we are to imitate God, then we are to love our enemies the way God loved us when we were his enemies. Number two, we are commanded to love our enemies and to be a blessing to them. Matthew five forty four and 45, this is getting into our text for next week. But Jesus tells the people, he says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. So not only are we called to love our enemies, but Jesus raises the standard and commands us to love them and to pray for them. Bless them by praying for God to intervene in their lives. And I can tell you that I've talked to countless people who have had somebody do something to harm them, and they were bitter enemies from that point on. And those people will give a testimony, and they will say, but I prayed for them because God tells me to, commands me to. And I've heard this numerous times. It's hard to stay mad and hate somebody when you're praying for them on a regular basis. God sa- Jesus says, love them and pray for them. Be a blessing to them. Call for God to come and intervene in their lives. Romans 12, 20, 21 says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, this is the important part here. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so as Paul is writing the church in Rome, he says, here's how you treat your enemies. You love them. If they need something and you can provide it, give it to them. And he says, when they do evil to you, do not let that evil overcome you. Don't start imitating that. Don't start looking like them. You overcome that with good. You overcome that by extending grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. So we're commanded to love our enemies and to be a blessing to them. Number three, we should not fear that the offender will go unpunished. I think most of the time we have a difficult time forgiving people and showing love to people that have made us, done something to harm us or done something to offend us or whatever. I think most of the time we have trouble loving them and forgiving them because we feel like then they're not going to ever be punished for what they did. And what they did was too harmful to me to not be punished. We don't think that it's going to be just if we extend love and mercy to them. But I want you to know what Romans 12 says in three different verses. 
God says through Paul in Romans 12, in verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Romans 12, 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So God promises that consequences will come whether or not you forgive. But you need to forgive. You need to not take revenge. Let God do that. I think John Piper, uh, he summed this up in a way that just was really clear for me as I was studying this. Um, He said, hand vengeance over to God. Don't think justice won't be done. It will be done. All sins will be punished, either on the cross for those who repent, and you can't approve upon that punishment, or in hell for those who don't repent, and you can't approve upon that punishment. And so everything is going to be punished. And so if somebody does something to harm you and you forgive them, they, there will still be, still be a punishment. If they repent and they turn to Christ and give their life to Christ, then he took their punishment. And John Piper says, you can't do anything better than what Jesus did on the cross. And if they don't repent and they don't give their life to Christ and they're not saved, then he says, eventually they will get their punishment in the, in the afterlife and they will have an eternity separated from God in hell where there is suffering. And he says, you can't do anything to improve on that punishment either. So don't be afraid that there won't be punishment. Don't let that hold you back from forgiving someone and extending mercy. Uh, Number four, a reward in heaven awaits us if we love our enemies. Now, do you remember when we started this sermon series and we we went through the Beatitudes? Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, the Beatitudes end with this. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Living a beatitude type of life will create enemies in your life because there are those, there are many who are opposed to the cross of Christ. And if we stand by it as the only means of salvation, then we are going to, we're going to have enemies. Loving our enemies with a desire to pray for them and to bless them brings with it a great reward, according to Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. And all of the glory and all of the riches and all of the fame and all the power in this world pales in comparison to that heavenly reward. So much of it depends on taking our eyes off of the immediate and looking to the eternal. So let me wrap up with this, with a question. What if Jesus had not gone the extra mile, meaning the cross? What if Jesus had not gone the extra mile? I mean, isn't what he did on the cross a demonstration of his love for us when we were his enemy? Isn't that a show of his mercy to those who stand in opposition to him? I mean, he died for those who, who stood in rebellion against him. 
and offered grace to even those enemies of his. So then for us, wouldn't doing extra deeds of kindness or extending mercy or extending love and forgiveness to our enemies, wouldn't that show them that same kind of love and grace that Christ showed us? And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but I think the people who are our enemies, and you might have them in your mind right now, but the people who are our enemies, those who fight against us and who hate us and want to harm us, I think are the people who more than any others need to experience the love of Christ through us. I mean, they need to experience the love of Christ, but I think they need to experience it through the ones that they hate so much. Now, next week, we're going to continue to learn about how Jesus calls us to love our enemies. So that's a transition from not seeking revenge into loving our enemies. Um, We will get into that uh, next week as we wrap up chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the fact that you don't allow us to remain comfortable in our sin and many times when someone has harmed us and we want revenge that is because of our sin nature but help us to remember that bitterness and anger will eat us up from the inside if we hold on to it it's like a cancer inside us that will that will erode from the inside out and destroy our lives And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to not be people who feel like we have to be justified by getting revenge, but we'll just trust you to deal with the people who persecute us and who harm us or just hate us for whatever reason. Let us trust you that you will deal with them and the consequence will be be equal and fair and it will be just right according to your knowledge that is so much greater than ours. And let us be people who will forgive and extend mercy and grace because it's only through that that we can be released from that bitterness. We don't want a root of bitterness in our lives. We don't want to have hatred in our lives. We don't want to be people who are bogged down and consumed with trying to get back at people who have harmed us. We want to be people who are released from that and free and be able to live in peace. And the only way that we could do that is to imitate you by extending forgiveness and grace to those who are our enemies. That's a hard thing. So we need your spirit to work overtime in our lives to do that. But we welcome him in. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Brandon, do we have words? Or, okay. All right, we're going to sing I Surrender All to close. If you guys would like to stand.